Hi, thanks for uh, having me here. And what a great question. Um, so right before I joined you today, I was out on my daily walk with my dog, Happy. And um, the weather is just perfect and beautiful and the sky is beautiful and the trees are all green. And when I'm doing my daily walk with my dog, I just feel so connected with everything. And, um, and that I think is, you know, my daily dose of deep gratitude that I get. And then um, as I'm greeting my neighbors in a socially distanced way, and I am able to connect with them too. And, um, and that happened as well several times this morning. So that also gives me a deep sense of gratitude. I'm complete.
Yeah, um, thanks. So um, the the big thing that's going on in my life right now is that I just published my book called Teamwork 9.0. And um, I am definitely feeling in the space of gratitude as I'm reflecting back on um, what a huge effort it was and how many people supported me along the way and uh, gave me feedback and made contributions. Um, you know, it, it really was a team effort to do it. Um, and I, I couldn't have done it by myself. And I'm just um, pretty much living every day in that state of gratitude um, for this huge team accomplishment and um and on the walk today when i was out one of my neighbors um was driving around um, driving on the street and she stopped and said hey i just finished the book that that was really awesome and um so i got to thank her for that and then I also got to thank her for introducing me to her daughter, who is a journalism major at Chapman. And um, she helped me review the book from the perspective of a millennial. So I got a double gratitude there. <laughs> so it's been a great day. So thank you. I'm complete.
Okay, perfect. My pleasure. Thank you so, so much, Mary Lynn, for organizing this. And thank you for the opportunity to speak with you all today on the important topic of building empathy, kindness, and compassion in the workplace and in the world. I feel that this topic is as important now as it's ever been in my lifetime. And it's important that we learn to welcome a diversity of styles among our friends, our family, and our teammates. And in my talk today, I will share with you a tool called the Enneagram that I use for building rapport and trust with others who have different styles than my own. So just a little bit about me. I have an education in electrical engineering and was trained to lead electrons, not people. But as I advanced in my career, I realized the key to success was more about team effectiveness than designing circuits. And 10 years into my engineering career, my boss said that he was promoting me to manager and I was shocked. I knew nothing about managing people. He said, don't worry, you'll be fine. Well, I wasn't fine, I was worried. And I did what any good engineer would do. I studied the problem. I got my hands on every book on leadership and teamwork I could find and read as much as possible. And it was about this time I discovered the, a tool called the Enneagram. And first I thought it was just another personality system like others I'd experienced, like Myers-Briggs or DISC. And being the engineer that I am, I like to take things apart and see what works well and what doesn't and find the best parts, keep them and use them. And the Enneagram was different from the other systems no matter how much I tried to break it, I couldn't. That made me ever more curious about the system and led me on a journey of discovery that inspired me to develop the teamwork tools based on the Enneagram that I'm sharing in my book, Teamwork 9.0. So a bit about the Enneagram. It's commonly used as a personality dynamic system, and the system describes nine distinct behavioral dynamics, and it's extremely useful and valuable for understanding yourself, your friends, family, team members, and the interpersonal dynamics that occur. The Enneagram's use as a personality system was popularized 
back in the 50s by Oscar Ichazo and then later in the 70s by Claudio Naranjo. And um, it draws on wisdom from ancient traditions going back to ancient Greece and Egypt. Um, and more recently, I've noticed that the Enneagram has become very popular with millennials. And there's a number of great sites on YouTube and Instagram where communities are sharing their Enneagram experiences. And today, I'll share how to build rapport with others using a technique called mirroring with an Enneagram twist. So mirroring is a phenomenon that occurs when we communicate with others. It's a natural rapport building mechanism by which we reflect back verbal and nonverbal cues. The cues include posture, arm placement, speech patterns, among others. So have you ever noticed during a conversation that you've positioned your body in the mirror image of the other person? Well, that's mirroring in action. Mirroring is the way we tell the other person, hey, I'm like you. We're birds of a feather. It's our instinctual method for building rapport. And at an Enneagram workshop I conducted, I asked the group to think about their best friends in high school and guess what Enneagram type they were. As we went around the room, we discovered a pattern. Most everyone concluded that their best friend was the same Enneagram type as themselves. So it's easy to build rapport with someone when you're reflecting back their Enneagram style. And knowing the power of mirroring, why not use this technique deliberately and consciously for building rapport? So by knowing each of the nine distinct Enneagram styles, you can adjust your own style to better match that of the person with whom you're building rapport. So before I step through the numbers um, of each Enneagram type, let me just stop here and see if anybody has any questions. Nope, we can hear you. Right, so I'll I'll um I'll go through the numbers now. I I was curious um if uh you know how many people were familiar with the Enneagram and uh and whether they just had any questions about that.
Right, right. Yes. So mirroring um, is a way to reflect back uh, what whatever the person is doing, whether their 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 pace of their speech, um, the way their posture is, you know, all all of those dynamics and elements can be mirrored back, and it it makes people feel comfortable. You know, I guess that's you know one reason why teams often wear the same clothes. Even you're mirroring back the the clothes, so. All of that kind of makes you feel comfortable and it's easier to build rapport when you're doing that. And, um, and so what I wanted to do was essentially expand on that concept and say, you can use the uh, nine Enneagram dynamics. Once you understand those nine Enneagram dynamics and you understand the style that the person with whom you're trying to build rapport is, is, you know, evoking, then you can start to mirror that back. And so I was going to go through how to do that with the nine distinct uh, Enneagram styles, but you're absolutely right. You can also be doing that with how fast you speak, um, your, you know, and, and, and all the other aspects of mirroring. Great. So, um, if there's no other questions, let's uh, move on then. So, in order to mirror, there must be something to reflect. So, listening is one of the most important rapport building skills. So, Enneagram Type 1 is often called the perfectionist. They're frequently the first type to point out that things aren't right, aren't as they should be. So how do you get type ones to start talking? How about with this question? Is something wrong? Since there's always something wrong, this simple question will get the conversation going. To build rapport as you listen, it's important to acknowledge the problems the one identifies. Don't object. Don't correct, don't deflect, just listen and acknowledge. And another question to ask type ones is, how should things be? Type ones have a strong innate sense of how the world should be. Encourage your type one to describe the ideal world, one without the frustrating problems. By clearly defining both the problematic world and the ideal world, the type one reveals the gap between the two. And remember, this is their vision, not yours. Your job is to listen, understand, and doing so allows you to build rapport and trust. Next is Enneagram type two. It's easy to build rapport with people who go out of their way to build rapport with you. Enneagram type twos have heart and want to connect with you at an emotional level. How do they do that? By helping you. So Enneagram type twos want appreciation from those around them. 
The desire for appreciation compels them to seek ways to help others in return for that appreciation. So what's the easiest way to build rapport with type two? Appreciate them. Type twos are capable of receiving boundless amounts of gratitude. Try it yourself. I've never found a limit. This is the key to building rapport and trust with type two. So Enneagram type threes tend to minimize attention to emotions and feelings, both their own and the feelings of others. Clearly, building rapport on an emotional level is not the best approach with the three. They do want to succeed and appear successful. And therein lies the key to building rapport with type threes. Enneagram type threes are highly conscious of appearances and will respond well to mirroring. They like to surround themselves with achievement-oriented people who exhibit the trappings of success. Nice clothes, nice car, nice job. Mirroring these signs of success while demonstrating your own ability to work hard and achieve success will put you in good stead with the three. Also, recognizing and acknowledging the, the three for their successes that they've achieved is a key to building rapport with type three. So Enneagram type four has the innate ability to feel the emotional content of the world, both what is present what is present and also what's missing. So having conversations about feelings is when rapport building takes place with type four. Mirroring with type four requires conversations about feelings. In some environments and situations, conversations about feelings aren't welcome. For type fours, those settings can be stifling. Social conversations that focus only on positivity and superficiality will not seem genuine to the four. They yearn for something deeper. And herein lies your opportunity to build rapport with type fours by finding the time to share your own feelings. Type fours will often express deep empathy and provide unique perspectives on your situation. Acknowledging and appreciating these gifts is a key step to building rapport with type four. For type fives, acquiring information and knowledge makes them feel safe. They're drawn to unorthodox topics that require profound knowledge. They enjoy immersing themselves deeply in the subject matter. Engaging in conversations about the subject in which they are expert is when rapport building takes place with type five. Sharing any specialized knowledge that you have on the subject will be especially compelling for them. While they're capable of acquiring vast amounts of data and knowledge, they often have trouble distilling it down to make a decision. This is compounded by the desire to not be wrong. Helping the five sort through the data 
to make a safe decision are conversations that the five appreciates and a great way to build rapport. More than any other Enneagram type, type six is beset with feelings of anxiety. Like a thermometer in their gut, the anxiety temperature is low when things are going according to plan. But when they don't, their anxiety temperature rises. When building rapport with type six, it's best to approach them when they're in their calm state. Otherwise, anxiety can make them confrontational and mask their ability to make meaningful and trusting connections. Reflecting back concern about the future and discussing probabilities for different outcomes are topics of great interest to type six. They value these conversations and your participation is an excellent rapport building technique. Wanna have some fun? Find Enneagram type seven. Type sevens like being around other people and others like being around them. Type sevens make it easy to build rapport. Enneagram type sevens wanna keep things light and fun. Engaging with type seven in fun conversations and activities is a great way to build rapport with them. Type sevens want to be liked. So demonstrating that you like them is important to rapport building. Just get to the point. To communicate effectively with Enneagram type eight, you must be succinct. If they want more details, they'll ask. Letting them lead the conversation will create the environment for building rapport and trust. Enneagram type eights prefer action to talking. The type eight characteristics to reflect back to type eight are getting to the point, being direct, and acting decisively. Demonstrating these characteristics is an excellent rapport building strategy. They respect others with their same style and re reflecting back to them that direct to the point approach you can build rapport with type eight. When a situation calls for an abundance of patience, understanding, and empathy, turn to Enneagram type nine for guidance. Masters of de-escalation, type nine strives to reduce conflict. And therein lies the key to building rapport and trust. Enneagram type nines have the ability to understand everyone else's perspective. How do they do that? Type nines tend to be on the quiet side. Rather than talking, they focus on listening. By listening, they absorb everyone's opinions and perspectives. Doing so gives them the ability to put themselves in others' shoes and to intuit and predict how others will react in a given situation. Enneagram type nines strive to minimize conflict and appreciate those that do the same. Reflecting back empathy and consideration for others' perspectives is an important rapport building strategy with type nine. In order to effectively reflect back 
the Enneagram style of others, it's very helpful to understand your own style. Once you know your own style, then you'll know what aspects to share and which to suppress as you're reflecting back the styles to others. For instance, being a type six myself, I like to think things through and ask lots of questions. These behaviors can frustrate and even anger type eight. So in my interactions with type eights, I work to check these tendencies. Also, I tend to couch my conclusions into context. My typical conversations start with the context and end with the conclusion as the punchline. Knowing the eights just want me to get to the point, I flip this style on its head. I start with the punchline and only explain the context if asked. Often the eight will have already figured out the context and explaining that first is just wasting their time. I found this is an important rapport building technique with the type eights in my life. So if you're interested in discovering your own Enneagram type, a good first step is to take a questionnaire. You're welcome to take the complimentary quiz at enneasurvey.com. Also, I've published a series of blogs on building rapport with each Enneagram type, and I've included links to those blogs in this presentation for reference. And I've also included some resources about my book, Teamwork 9.0, um, and uh, you can find those here in the presentation as well. So I'll stop here and see if there's any questions or comments. Marilyn, are you are you muted? Marilyn, oh, there you are. Yeah. What's that? Oh yeah, if, uh, if people are willing to um, share that, that'd be great. So it looks like in the chat, um, Lisa is a seven. And, um, and then there was another comment saying that, um, that they've heard about it, um, but they don't know their, um, their number. Um, so, so that's a great question. Um, here's my advice on the um, on any Enneagram quiz that I've encountered. It's it's a good tool for figuring out what you're not, not necessarily what you are. So, um, you know, for instance, the first time I took the test, I scored 
um, high on both eight and six. I scored higher on eight than six. Um, but it turns out that I was, I'm a six, I'm not an eight. I was just in an environment where um, I essentially had to be around a lot of eights and act like an eight. And so when I took the test, I tested like an eight. So you'll have some, um, there'll be some biases in your responses based on, you know, your, your current situation. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes when taking the test, people advise people to um, think back to like when they're in high school um, and, uh, and how you might have responded then, because that might give you uh, like a little better response to questions where you're unsure. Um, but in any case, you want to keep the, you know, top two or three that you score highest on and then um, do a little more research on each of the types to figure out which type that you are. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. There you go. Right. And I'm always happy if, if you um, want to have a conversation after you take the, the quiz and you're still not quite sure, um, I'm, you know, happy to be a sounding board for you and um, kind of talk through the different numbers to see which, um, which one seems to make most sense for you. You know, some... Yeah, I notice. I notice Rhonda says that she's a strong eight. I've I've never met met an eight who's not strong. <laughs> the eights are the mighty ones. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. So as an eight, um, you know, that that's one of the things that that you'll have to do is to constrain that desire to tell them, just get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Did that, that, that made sense to you? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, this, this is learned from experience because as a six, 
you know, I always start with the context, you know, I, there's this logical progression in my brain of how I need to flow this out so that when I say the conclusion, it all makes sense, right? But the eight already intuits all that. They don't need that. Just tell me the punchline. <laughs> 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 right. So she, yeah, you know, so the, the, the point of this exercise, um, wasn't, um, so much, uh, for, you know, you to understand your own style. It was more for um, us, you know, to recognize the needs of others, right? So when you're communicating with one of these styles, you know, no matter what style you are, a six or an eight or a one or two, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're talking to a one and you want to build rapport with the one, then, you know, you just need to let them have the space to talk about the problems. That's what they want to talk about. And, and then in order to move the conversation off of just talking about problems, you can move it to, well, so how should it be? And then that gets them to kind of switch their mind over more towards, you know, how to, how to fix these problems rather than just dwell on them. Um, while still just letting them talk but letting them work through it. And, um, and it's a really good way to, you know, show that you, you care about what concerns the one and then provide them with a platform for them to essentially, you know, work through the problem themselves and maybe come up with a solution. So, you know, I, that, that was the purpose of this, was to um, just give you some insights into all these different nine styles and then how to reflect back when you recognize somebody doing one of these. Just, you know, take a moment, understand that, and then attempt to reflect that back so that it makes them feel comfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and it's so on point and, and, um, and that's why it, it's such a great tool for sales teams because I mean, this really, what I presented today was the key value to sales teams because as a salesperson, you know, you need to understand who you're communicating to and, build rapport with that person and communicate in the way that will be received most effectively. And, and, you know, the Enneagram gives you the guidebook to, to doing that. <laughs> 
So that's great that your team was actually putting that, you know, in, in, into effect. And I bet, I bet they were very pleased with those outcomes. Oh, <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's also good, right? <laughs> How to get along with the boss. <laughs> Oh, that's so well said. That is so well said. Well, you know, it, it's funny. Eights tend to take on leadership roles, um, you know, just because they, they exude confidence and, um, and, and, and people just feel, you know, very comfortable following their lead. So it's, it's not uncommon for eights to be in leadership roles. But the, the eight style is a very specific style and not all the other types can interface with it well. So when I do Enneagram workshops, um, it's often the conversations are about, so how do I get along with my eight boss? <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's right. Yeah. Those. Mm hmm. Right. Right. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I loved how you said, um, it, the Enneagram gives you permission to be yourself and, and how liberating it is. It's like, you know, you know, especially as a, um, you know, 
I, I think it's true for anybody, you know, but you know, for, for a six, um, you know, I have this feeling of anxiety right now. Is that, um, unusual or is it normal? Who knew, you know, once I understood that I was a six and that was just a part of my makeup and it's just a common thing with any six that gave me, uh, you know, j that liberated me to think, Oh, okay, well there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just, that's just what I am. It's just kind of my, um, my internal thermometer for how things are going. And now I can use that as a tool to, you know, motivate me and point me into, you know, where things might not be, you know, going well and work to, you know, make things better. And it's, it, it really, um, as you said, it was very liberating. Do you, do you know what type he is? Right. Right. So, you know, the, um, the reason why I wrote the book, you know, there's a lot of books out there on the Enneagram. Um, but, uh, you know, I had this question of, you know, there's nine types and their numbers. Why is the one the one? Why is the two the two? Why couldn't, you know, the eight be the three and the seven be the six, you know? And um, I studied um, a few books on looking at the Enneagram as a process. So it's, it's actually the popularization of the Enneagram as a personality tool by um, Oscar Echazo. That's kind of a recent development. The, the Enneagram can also be used just as a process. And it occurred to me as I was looking at this is that the order of the numbers is exactly the order in which humans solve problems. It's a problem solving process. So like, you know, the one, right? What's the first step in problem solving? Hey, that's not right. It shouldn't be that way. It should be this way. That's, that is the dynamic of the one. 
the, the dynamic of the two is, well, who cares about the problem? Who has an emotional connection to the problem, right? And on and on, each one of those dynamics that we know about the Enneagram are perfectly suited for that step in problem solving. So it, you know, once you understand it from that perspective, and then, you know, say you understand the, the number, let's say your, your husband's a five, you know, it's like that dynamic is exactly the right dynamic for step five in problem solving, where you get all the information, you and analyze it to the nth degree and do a pro-con analysis and a cost-benefit analysis and on and on and on, all that stuff. Well, that's what he does all day long. That's step five in problem solving. Thank you all for, for your uh, interest in this and uh, your participation. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to the rest of the conference. Thanks so much, Marilyn. Sounds great. Yep, I just did. Thank you.
So, um, you know, it's, this is such a great conversation. Thank you for doing this. And, um, you know, one of the things, you know, that's um, interesting to me in hearing all this is we often don't know what we don't know. And um, if we're never exposed to the voices and the information, um, then uh, we just become very myopic. And, uh, and it's very easy to do that when you get into your own little echo chamber or, you know, your own news sources and, um, and you don't start to hear the other voices that are out there and the other opinions. So, you know, one of the things um, that happened to me was that I discovered about 10 years ago podcasts. And, um, and so now I very deliberately try to find podcasts with different voices because, you know, in my neighborhood, there isn't a lot of diversity. Um, you know, it's, it's not in my day to day. I have to kind of go out of my way to um, hear those voices. And podcasts have been a, a great way to do that. And, uh, and, you know, I, when I was younger, I lived abroad for three years, and I lived in um, Japan. Uh, and so I, you know, I kind of have that experience of, you know, going to a different place and um, really trying to understand, um, you know, the people and how things are done. And, um, and, and that gave me a skill set that, you know, I can come back here to my own country and realize how much I don't even know. And, um, and so, you know, finding those um, venues, even if it's, if it's on a podcast, to, to understand my own country, country has been um, very eye-opening. So I can tell you one of the things that I'm doing and, um, and it's, you know, in the venues, you know, where I am um, to make sure that these types of conversations do occur. Um, I was at a, a board meeting of a, membership of, of an association um, that I'm, I'm, um, I belong to, and they were um, going to make some changes. And so I just asked the question, you know, so how is that going to affect the, um, the diversity of the membership? If you make this change, have you assessed the impact of that? You know, and it's like, no, we didn't. Well, we, we ought to do that. Before you make a change like this, we ought to, we ought to do that. So just, you know, trying to remind people, <laughs> you know, to, you know, consider 
diversity and inclusion in their decision-making process um, so that you're not adversely impacting that. So that's, that's something that I'm, I'm, I am trying to do more of.
Cheryl, I think Cheryl said she's a seven. But, but sevens and ones have a connection. So yeah, there is a connection between a one and a seven. One, one, uh, sevens can get um, very particular about things. So, yes. So I have a question for you. So I'm just starting to read this book here. It's called Humankind by Rutger Bregman. Uh, has anybody had a chance to look at that yet? Um, it's, it's really fascinating and it, it goes into um, research on kindness and, um, and how um, there's so much of the way we've organized ourselves is to minimize that part of humanity and um and minimize the the benefits of kindness um and uh, and you know and one of the stories that you know i've just started this but he talks about you know the lord of the flies you know about are you familiar with that story you know so you know you get these boys they they go in on being shipwrecked and then they end up, you know, essentially destroying themselves. And so this guy, you know, he said, is that true? Do people really do that? And, um, and so he actually went and found a situation where some boys were actually shipwrecked on an island for five months or something like that. And they absolutely didn't do that. They all worked together. They figured out how to um, resolve conflict. They built a little um, society. They, they started a fire and they kept, they organized to keep that fire going. You know, it's just, it's actually, you know, just the opposite of what we're being taught, how, how humanity is. And um, so I'm just, I was so glad to hear that, you know, you're a part of that organization that's um, trying to, to do more research on this and promote that research, um, you know, to kind of fight back against all of this misinformation that seems to be out there. Right, right. Right. It, 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 yeah, and that's his point, you know, it's, it's what the, it, it sells, you know, fear sells and right. So,
right. Not evocative enough, yeah.
See you in a little bit later. Bye.